Following is a presentation of the Premier Dance Network. Hello and welcome back. Thanks for coming to chat. I am your host, Barry Carolus, and you are listening to Pa de Chat Talking Dance on the Premier Dance Network. In this weekly podcast, I candidly offer educational conversations and thoughtful analysis on all things dance. With my vast background as a director, choreographer, instructor, and dancer, I am happy to share my 14 years of experience with you, whether you're a professional dancer or just listening in for an insider's look into our fascinating art form. So put your earbuds in, grab a cup of coffee, sit back, and let's talk dance. If you've been listening in the past few weeks, you are all well aware that I have been away on a South American honeymoon with my hubby. I have pre-recorded three quick concept podcasts, The Flashcast, to make sure that you all get great content and I get a great big break from over four years of non-stop media work. Well, congratulations. You've made it to the last Flashcast before I get back. So stay tuned next week for a regular speed, regular length conversation on dance. If you're listening as soon as this releases, imagine me sauntering the streets and breathing in the culture of the Paris of the South in Buenos Aires, Argentina, uh, or Argentina, if you wish. I'm curious what I'll be wanting to talk about when I return after all the experiences that I've had while all down south. Alrighty, let's go ahead and launch this flashcast. Back in August, I asked my listeners to share uh, certain questions that they have with me for my first Pod of Chat Talking Dance Q&A. I got a handful of fun questions to answer, so let's get straight to those. Our first question comes from Kathleen, who is from Orange County, California. Uh, and after listening into our recent podcast about shaming artists into normal jobs, she felt inspired to write in with a related question on supporting a kid with dreams of a career in the arts. She has a grown 24-year-old son who is in the early stages of a career in composition and performing. So he composes, I believe, on the keyboard, and then he also sings his work. Kathleen told me that her son is still working to support himself fully, which means that she and her husband sometimes cover rent, pay for flights, to visit home, and at times even give early advanced birthday gifts that include music equipment. Kathleen asks, what would you have wanted to say to your parents early in your career about how to best support you? It's a great question. So thanks for writing in, Kathleen. (laughs) First off, I'd like to commend you on your willingness, patience, and generosity in helping your kids strive to achieve his achieve his dreams, not achieve. (laughs) Not every parent can resist the urge to put their kid on the path that they think they should be going down. Uh, Some parents feel that their kids need to be in a high-paying, high-profile job like a doctor or a lawyer or politician or things like that, but I I really do uh, give you a round of applause for supporting that. Um, I think if I could have told my parents what I needed for for them to best support me, um, I couldn't have really told them anything aside from what they gave me. Um, really, I was lucky that I had parents that did anything and everything they could do to support me uh, towards achieving my career. Everything from taking me t- every day to my dance studio, uh, even allowing me on some weekends I lived with my dance teacher. Um, Actually, my my entire last year that I was home, my junior year of high school, um, I lived with my my dance teacher on the weekends. Um, 
beyond that, my family didn't have a lot of money. So while they couldn't afford, for instance, to support me through paying my rent or anything like that, they did everything in their ability to make sure that I was able to fly to summer programs and that I had uh, the ability to get the training that I needed. Um, so really, I guess I could just offer some points that I think are really important to uh, help support an artist because sometimes it does take a while to build up a career and you can't just not everybody has that breakout moment really at a really young age actually very few do so this is more the reality um, so I think that first off it's really just taking a true assessment of your child's talent and the challenge with that is that you're not in that field typically so you can't say oh they have a really good chance of making it uh, and being able to support themselves at one point um, I think really doing your research to know what the likelihood is of somebody being able to break into that field on a large scale or a small scale some people only see you as being successful when you really like become well-known or famous and you're making tons and tons of money but a lot of people do have successful arts careers on a, on a smaller scale. Um, I, I think a, a good a way to assess whether your child is on track to have a career in a certain art form is to see what their flow of work is like, to see how hard they're working, to compare their achievements to other people in their field. Again, not at a high level, but maybe if they're local, look at other local artists and maybe even reach out to them and ask them what their career track looked like. Uh, at a certain point, if you don't want to be supporting uh, fully or even halfway, <laughs> um, if you don't want to be paying for your kid into their 30s to live for their art, is to be reasonable and at a certain point say okay you need to support yourself so find a way to make it work and if I see that you're doing that and it's starting to take away from your art um, maybe we can find a middle ground where you have a part-time job and I can only offer up to $400 per month um, so that you really have boundaries where you're allowing them to flourish in their art but you're also not letting them completely take advantage and uh, only work on that art without being able to support themselves. At a certain point, the goal of a parent is to have their child be independent, in my opinion at least. So that will help give them independence. Um, keep in mind, timing is everything. Some, Like I said before, some people flourish young, some people take a long time. So don't feel like you need to force the timing. Uh, some of the best advice I ever got in my dance career, <clears throat> there goes my voice uh, out of nowhere. Some, some the best advice I got in my dance career was, uh, there is no timeline to a dance career, and I believe that to be true in most any career. So keep that in mind. Um, yeah, and then other than that, um, I, I just think that you, it's best to have good boundaries so that, and sometimes those boundaries, yes, they can move up and down, but uh, just have good boundaries because uh, otherwise it, it's it just becomes enabling, enabling, enabling. That way you feel positive about helping them and you don't feel bad about helping them. You should feel good that you're helping them. Okay, so Kathleen, I hope that answers your question. That was a great question. Thanks for writing in and I'm gonna move on to the next question. 
The next question that I got was from Jennifer in Silverton, Oregon, and she has a multifaceted question about stages for ballets. If you don't know how works and productions uh, are put together for performances, then this question is for all of you. So let me answer this one by th this one one by one because she she gave me a few questions. So can I explain what the role of a stager is? A stager comes into an organization. Uh, usually they are. Uh, chosen and sent out by a trust. For instance, the Balanchine Trust might have certain stages that stage certain Balanchine ballets like Rubies or uh, Symphony in Three Movements and this and that. Uh, so the role of a stager is to come and to teach the choreography that has already been created by a choreographer um, to a company or to an organization to put on stage. Her next question, who ends up being a stager? Typically, a stager is somebody who has already performed the work of a of this choreographer, but it's not always that way. Um, at times, maybe a ballet master that has already staged the work, or if a choreographer has a confidant that works by their side, uh, often those are the people that end up staging works. There are times that uh, a dancer might be brought in and taught how to stage, um, or a stager might be brought in and taught how to stage, but that's not typically the case. Um, next, why is staging needed? It is needed because there needs to be quality control with works. If I were to create a ballet and I were to send a video to a company, they might think that they can just copy and paste whatever they see on the screen of that, uh, that footage that I send them, but they don't know the counts, they don't know the inspiration, they don't know if maybe I intended for this step to look this way, but the dancer messed up in that performance. So it's definitely important for a stager to be sent if a work has already been created uh, to make sure that the company is performing it to the choreographer's likings. Lastly, how is the role distinct between an artistic director or a ballet master? Um, well, an artistic director or a ballet master can stage works, but again, if they haven't worked directly with this choreographer or they haven't danced this choreography, it can be very difficult for them to know the finest and the finer and the finest and the finer details <laughs> of the, the choreography. So, um, an artistic director or a ballet master can be a stager, but it, they, they would have to have worked with that choreographer or been in that work. So typically, um, say that there's a European choreographer, uh, let's say in London, and they a uh, company in, I don't know, let's say Colorado wants to perform their work, they are going to need somebody to be flown out from London to Colorado to perform that work, or to stage that work. Okay. Hope that answered your question, Jennifer. Thanks for writing in. It's a really good question. Okay, last one. <laughs> and I'm afraid I'm going to go over my 10 minutes for the flashcast, but I'm trying. Okay, next question. It is, uh, this is actually a fun one. Rachel from Birmingham, Alabama wrote in asking if I turn my music in iTunes on shuffle, what are the first three songs that play? <laughs> I'm going to do this live right now. So <laughs> we'll really know what happens. I'm going to be really disappointed if it's all ballet class piano music that starts playing because I have some, I've been told that in many of my uh, contemporary classes, my students have told me that I have really interesting tastes in music and I feel like I need to prove that to you. So, okay, let me turn my iPad to music and we're going to go ahead and do this. So we're here and stay with me. I am on my music and I would like to shuffle. All 
looks like the first song that came up is called The Highest Point in Elbert County. That's E-L-B-E-R-T County. And it's uh, work by Greg Haynes, H-A-I-N-E-S, from the Moments Alluding album, which is some beautiful, uh, I'd say it's n- newer, uh, minimalist music, uh, mostly piano. Okay, let's see what's next. Ooh, I have a lot of non-classical music, but I, I don't know what's happening right now. Well, it's a show for the ballet audience. This one is a Shostakovich Piano Concerto. Um, and which one is it? Let me wait for it to scroll. It's Shostakovich Piano Concerto Number One in C Minor, and I believe that uh, this is actually the same music that Christopher Wielden used for his Mercurial Maneuvers. Great piece. Okay, moving on. No, it happened. I knew this was gonna happen. This is the plie music. <laughs> from David Howard's A Covent Garden class. I'm doing one more, because I, I, I need to prove that I don't have only ballet music on my, on my iPad. No, I'm gonna keep on searching. I can't find anything good. Okay, anyway, of course. Only ballet music shows up. I have so much. I have so much music that is popular, and also I'm obsessed with. I call it minimalist electronic music, um, ambient electronic, chill out. Also, uh, some just really interesting electronic music. So I'm sad that none of that showed up. So that's what we got. Uh, thanks again. <laughs> thanks again, Rachel, for suggesting that I, I do that and show my music. That was interesting. Okay, there you have it. Our first pot of chat flashcast Q&A. Hopefully I'll be able to do these every couple of months. So if you have any questions you want me to answer about dance, art, or even anything random about myself, feel free to send me a message via my contact page on my website at www.barrycorollis.com. You can also tweet me at Bariscos on Twitter using the hashtag TalkingDance. I hope you enjoyed listening in and talking dance with me. If you enjoyed this chat, please feel free to share, rate, and review our podcast on iTunes. Every bit of extra visibility visibility helps keep these podcasts running. And if this didn't fulfill your dance fix, check out my sister podcast on the Premier Dance Network. New hosts from your favorite dance companies are being added monthly. Don't forget, you can contact me via my website I mentioned earlier for choreography, classes in ballet or contemporary technique, and for speaking engagements. Also, if you want to connect with me to see where I'm choreographing, teaching, and what I'm doing in my everyday life, you can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, where my name is B. Corollis, or again on Twitter at Bariscos. Also, be sure to subscribe to my blog, Life of a Freelance Dancer, where I've been writing about working as a freelance artist for over four years. I also have two YouTube channels, B. Corollis featuring my choreography, and Choreography featuring my choreographic web series that tells the life-defining stories of professional dancers through revealing interviews and choreography. Thanks for listening in to Pod of Chat. I hope you return next Friday to talk dance with me and remember to go out and support your local dance scene.